We are back. We have decided to bring Why You Should Care back for another season. Obviously, as usual, we're brought to you by nobody. If you want to be a sponsor, let me know. I could I could hook you up. But we are brought the season back to handle some things before election. But also there's a lot of things locally and statewide that people should care about. And so we always wanted to bring the show back whenever we have issues that we can go over. As you know, my name is Obi. Time for the show. Welcome to the first episode in the third season of Why You Should Care. There's a saying in all politics that politics are local. So that's where we start. Each week in this season, whenever I want, we'll take a local political issue and look at it in depth. And hopefully by the end, you'll know why you should care, but more importantly, what you can do about it. I'm your host, Obi Omana. I'm a lawyer, political consultant, Bowen, right here in Jacksonville, Florida. My firm provides political consultant for local candidates and statewide candidates, as well as issue campaigns. Anything a campaign needs from field work to TV and digital ads. Currently, we've provided services for almost half the city council, half the school board, and state house and state senates. I was just the political resident for Biden in North Florida, and then also just became was a senior advisor for Nikki Fried for governor, as well as worked on Tracy Davis' winning state senate campaign as a consultant. Local politics is my business, but what if it's not? This podcast is designed for you. One more housekeeping item. I'm not a journalist. I'm a political consultant who normally works on Democratic candidates. So this podcast may have some bias. So do your own research. You probably see that I was right, but don't bother me about being biased. With that out of the way, we'll get into this episode. And luckily today, I have my good friend Evelyn Perez Verdia on the show to talk about Hispanic voters and why it's so important that we reach out to them. Thank you, Evelyn, for coming on the show. I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners. Go ahead, Evelyn. Tell them a lot about your history and how you got involved in campaigns. Well, first of all, thank you, Obi, for having me. Um, it's a great honor. You know how much I highly respect you and your work and your work in our communities and all communities in Florida. So my name is Evelyn Perez Verdia. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for We Are Mas. It's a firm that works with um, Hispanic, Latino, and diaspora communities in the state of Florida. And well, I've been doing this work in Florida for 20 years now. And, you know, I'm a big believer like you, Obi. I think we have this in common that we believe that we can't wait for our communities to find us, but we have to go to them. So it's a real big honor to be here with you. Thank you so much, Evelyn. And like I said, I've learned so much from working with you on campaigns. And I think I wanted to bring you to my listeners because of that. And one of the first questions I want to ask you is what do campaigns get wrong about Hispanic voters? Well, I think that we've started to learn throughout the years that, you know, Hispanics, Latinos, uh, diaspora communities, and and we both come from diaspora communities, right? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. we we have a lot more in common than differences, right? We want to be seen. We want to be seen with the subcultures of our cultures. We want to be seen with those little things that make us unique. And I think that more and more when campaigns do that, um, we connect more. We show that we care. So in terms of Hispanics, you know, um, 
and it's something that you and I worked on. You know, we were very clear that one of the first things that we needed to do was actually go and engage with the different mm. communities, with the you know different different engagements of of listening to them and listening to the um, you know not only the Hispanic community by itself, but what are Venezuelans thinking? What are Colombian Americans thinking? What are the pains of the Nicaraguan community that right now have a dictator in Nicaragua? You know, what's happening in the Haitian community? Their strives, the lack of attention to the Haitian problems and the Haitian American mm-hmm. problems. So I think that the more we understand that everyone has their little heart and we understand what they're going through, not only here in Florida as diaspora communities, as U.S. citizens now that are able to vote, but right. understanding that we have families, like we we're just talking about what's up, right? You mm-hmm. know, we have families back home that we still interact with and they matter to us. And, and it's what we call the intermestic policy, which is international policy with domestic policy. But we're living now in the state of Florida. And, and you know, some where we come from, we see the prism of politics of Florida through the prism of politics, through our country of origin, right? Exactly, um, exactly. So, so I think it's really just about reaching to everyone, reaching out to everyone and making them feel seen. I definitely learned that from you. What I also learned from you was every different Latin community communicates differently, right? Like there's different things that are important to different communities. And I think it's important because they do this to Black voters as well, is they try to lump us all into one box and say, here's the one message for all Black people, or here's the one message for all Latin voters, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. You have to go into those communities and talk to them individually and hear their different issues and problems. And, you know, that's exactly what, you know, I think the work you and I did together was showing exactly that. One, that we're united, that sometimes we have similar issues and that we we work on them together. We support each other. Um, I think that often um, in the past, we've, we've seen possibly trying to pit communities against each other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that's not the way to go. I mean, the way to go is to realize that we all have issues, that we want better lives for our families, for our own selves, and that we go forward. And, and like you said, that the focus is exactly that. You know, you and I... Well, know that the work that we did really had national attention in terms of reaching out to communities because we had ads, for example, in Orlando that had accents of a Puerto Rican uh, individual and a, and, a, and a Cuban and a Colombian and a Venezuelan, which many more in Central Florida are not only Puerto Rican, there are these communities. Mm-hmm. And we did a different commercial for South Florida that had included the Dominican community. And we also didn't forget, let's say, in Southwest Florida, which my heart breaks because, you know, when I first started my career, you know, communities in Wachula. And right. there were so many children there. And, and, but also what I saw there, that there were many, many Mexican from the Mexican community that were now voters and U.S. citizens. And just because they're Mexican, it doesn't mean that we should forget them, Right. And I say this right. as, as the mother of Mexicans because my husband is Mexican. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, this is all like really going in depth and making sure that we speak to them in their accent, in their culture, in their language, 
but with an open heart and with sincerity. One other thing that I learned from you was how important it was for candidates in Florida to address what was happening back home in those countries, right? I think it speaks to people that are established here, but also people that are coming here makes them feel seen, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that sometimes we need to work a little bit more on, you know, especially when you see individuals using the pains of people that of our communities, of where they come from, to manipulate them. And I think that, you know, we, we've, you and I have talked a lot about misinformation, disinformation, mm-hmm. and malinformation, mm-hmm. what we call MDM. And just so everyone knows what the difference is, misinformation is when you share information that you don't know it's not correct, but you're not aware and you share it. Disinformation is when actors, domestic or foreign, in a premeditated manner, create informa- uh, disinformation or false information to manipulate communities for their advantage, be it political, be it to weaken our democratic institutions here in the United States, um, whatever the reason is. And that is something that has been suppressing not only the Hispanic communities, but many communities, many diaspora communities. And malinformation, a fact, right? Something that's happening at the moment and distort it to their advantage. Mm. So that's what we call MDM now, which is a it's a it's a terminology that is used by the cybersecurity agency, which is a governmental agency, not not mine to create, but uh, but something that I follow now and I and I and enjoy reading about. So I think that we have to be, you know, this is the moment where more than ever, you know, people who care, like I I I I can affirm, like you and me and many mm-hmm. others here in the state mm-hmm. of Florida. This is where we have to do so much work to really educate and inform our communities with facts, with the truth, which what what is the truth? The the truth is simple. The truth, the word truth means to be accurate. And I, I know this is something that you feel very strongly about and that your company works and you speak on this consistently about how to fight this. I know I see this on the voter side as well as it's not always going to like convince them of a certain point, but it does discourage them from voting. Right. It makes them less enthusiastic about voting for a particular party, which I think a lot of it has been used against Democrats. And so talk about how you fight that. How do you fix that? What do you do about about that kind of stuff? Well, you know, a lot has to do with messaging with branding, but it's also like what you said, is understanding that words mean different things for different communities. I think you've heard me say this oftentimes, and, it, and, and we have to recognize that, let's say this word is not a word, it's a word that has been used a very long time in the United States. Even the, you know, the other day I was at the um, New York, and there was this um, statement there from Theodore Roosevelt where he used the word progressive, right? And progressive has a long history of progress in this country for many, many people, for many communities. Unfortunately, in Latin America, um, people like Hugo Chavez, Fidel Castro have used the word progressive as progresista. And so with these leftist dictators, 
they've used this word over and over and over again to the point where they have, um, it's created transgenerational trauma, right? So, you know, when Democrats don't call themselves Democrats, but they call themselves progresistas or progressives, unfortunately, we're seeing Hispanics connected to something that creates a lot of pain with them, mm, right? Mm. Instead of calling every single person a Democrat, because there's two parties in this system, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, right? And, um, you, know, I, you know, looking at the numbers, I think these are things that we have to not dismissing what the word means for so many communities, but also addressing that, you know, no community is less than the other, right? So right. the question is, and the $1 million question is, how can we work to use words and messaging that unites us versus divides us, no matter which community it is, right? Dem- democracy. No. Yeah. And I think one of the things I, that was one of the things I learned from you on the campaign. I, ne- I didn't know that, you know, I, and I think in democratic politics, progressive is such a throwaway word, right? Like they call presentative organizations. They just, they call it that. And they don't realize that maybe that's not the right term to bring all the parties together. You said something about Hispanic voters. I want to get the listeners an idea of how many democratic Hispanic voters or Hispanic voters in total are in the state of Florida and why it's so and so important to really talk directly to them? Well, Obi, for this general election, we have over 2.5 million Hispanic voters, Latino voters wow. that can go out to the polls and make a difference. That's a lot. Especially wow. when we look at a 2018 election where where a candidate won by almost 35,000 votes and, and correct 33,000 votes. Yeah, 33,000 33, votes. Only. There you go. So when you have two point, over 2.5 million Hispanics in Florida, um, you know, they, they can make a big difference in, in addition to all the different communities that exist in Florida. Um, in 2020, um, we had, in terms of Hispanics, we had over 640,000 Republicans. In 2022, from the last book, um, book closing numbers of the primary, there's approximately 678,000 um, Hispanic Republicans. They've increased 45,000. Um, wow. For NPAs, no party affiliation, which I think is something that we have to address and, and realize mm-hmm. that this is an important voting block, no matter the community. Um, in 2020, there was 800 and over 880,000 um, um, Hispanics um, that were NPA, no party affiliation. Now look at 2022, Obi, 939,000, over 939,000 um, Hispanics, around close to 60,000 increase of NPA voters. And finally, with Democrats, um, in Democrats had nine hundred and almost nine hundred and forty-eight thousand voters in twenty twenty. Twenty twenty-two, we have nine hundred and two thousand seven hundred forty-four. It's like a forty-five thousand decrease in the Democratic Party with Hispanics, an increase in Republicans, and an increase in NPA. So the question is, you know, what's what's changing, right? And 
you know, we've seen from many actors a lot of mis, dis, and malinformation targeting Spanish-speaking voters, calling and creating fear-mongering with words as socialism and communism, which have right. nothing to right. do with the Democratic Party. It's, it's fear-mongering. Mm -hmm. But also, we can't be throwing red meat at these actors using words that actually mean this. Right. And what I mean, you're seeing we're seeing the same thing in the black community as well, at least the increase in MPA voters, because people are feeling they're not getting what they need to get from the Democratic Party. And whether or not that's truthful or whether it's more about information and malinformation and disinformation. But I think it's what well, people are still wanting to be registered to vote, but they don't want the party affiliation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I think that there needs to be like one of the things that we've talked about that's going to be key for future elections and that sometimes and please chime in here, Obi, because, you yeah. know, you know, I'm here in South Florida and you're in Jacksonville yeah. um, and we have we have it pretty much covered from the from the entire <laughs> yeah. state. Right? right. So but 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 please chime in here. Um, but I think that um, something that that we've tried to work really hard at, you know, in terms of the. Hispanic Latino communities, in terms of the black communities, in terms of diverse communities, all communities, is to remember that there are people who worked for decades building relationships um, with the communities. And what we've seen in the past is sometimes where we see, and, and I think it's changing in a positive way, I'm going to say this in a positive manner, But before we had many times people from other places, other states coming in mm -hmm. and, and trying to build relationships from zero. Right, right. Versus upholding and staying close and contracting and building relationships with or creating them as part of the team of people who already have that trust. And I think that that's going to make a big difference when we see that change more. We've seen a great improvement, but when we see more of that, because when you create a campaign or you work on something, you already have the people who trust you because they, you, your, your word is honor, right? Mm -hmm. You built it up. You know, this has not been something that you or I have worked over overnight. And then exactly. we're, hey, here we are. This is something where we have to prove ourselves that we're with them. And, yeah, and I, I, I 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. 100% agree with that. And I think what more statewide and national campaigns should be doing is trying to empower those local people that are already there. What was sometimes, what, and, and this is happening more, and we're being optimistic, it's happening a lot more, but to do a better job of saying, hey, I know that Evelyn's is in South Florida, This is the person I need to talk to first. Instead of implanting somebody from D.C. or from Tallahassee or even from Orlando, right, and saying, hey, I'm going to put this person here and, 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 and think they're going to be able to handle all the community kind of like little um, community connections. They don't have that, right? When you pick up the phone, those people are not going to answer it because it's you. Because you've helped them, you've worked with them, you know them. And I think that's really 
it goes back to even why I do this podcast because all politics are local. Yeah, it's about it's about working in the community and and I think with Hispanic voters, Black voters as well, they want to see their people from their community talking to them because they trust them. Yeah. And, you know, and, you know, Obi, I, I think that's like really fascinating because I, I think I've told you, but, you know, I grew up as a missionary kid. Right. Um, my dad was one of the first Americans to go to Colombia, finding deaf people um, because my grandmother was deaf and my mom's Colombian. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he went to with my mom to like to the Indian American community, like the Colombian, the Indian Native American communities in Colombia and the Amazons from the rivers to the coast. And working with deaf people, he he realized that there were like 76 different dialects just in Colombia based on culture, right? Wow. And that's how I grew up. And, you know, that's why, you know, I believe that, you know, when we speak to our communities and respect where they come from, their language, um, you know, their culture, but also realize that they're important contributors, to the United States of America as U.S. citizens and as voters, right? I think it makes a huge difference. It makes a difference in terms of what we do. It makes a difference in terms of the work we do as recognizing them as contributors to now our society here in the United States. No, I, I think that's ex- extremely important. I wanted to get your thoughts, though, on something that happened in Florida, happened state, it technically did not happen in Florida. It happened in Texas and and, and 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 really want to get your thoughts on DeSantis kind of using tax money to send uh, asylum seekers from Texas to to um, to, to 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 Maine, and, and and so and what are your thoughts on that? And what what is the community saying about that? Well, albeit you know. There are, it, it's it's these uncomfortable truths that we need to speak up, but mm-hmm. it's important to speak about them. There's a saying in, in Latin America or in my country that says like, um, you know, Ron DeSantis no da paso sin huarache, which means Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis doesn't take a step. I'm not probably not the accurate translation, but practically the meaning is Ron DeSantis will not take a step without knowing what he's stepping in. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, what I've seen from from these campaigns is that they poll. They poll specific communities. I, I have no doubt that they polled the Venezuelan community or the Cuban community directly, which is something that we've always said that's important to do is just see where everyone's at in terms of how they feel certain things. And what we and some people and some journalists have reported about that there's a division between the Venezuelan community, many that, of course, as many other communities, including us, feel completely just absolutely disrespected Um. by the treatment of these communities that are looking for a better life. And not only... You know, when they when they recognized them, they talked about Venezuelans, but there were also Haitians there and they weren't mm. recognized. There were Colombians wow. there. They weren't recognized. But the Venezuelans were. And and it's it's sad about the Venezuelan community because they were they're escaping dictatorships, right? But that doesn't mean that we have to look less 
on Colombians are escaping a deep economy, uh, you know, uh, inequalities, um, you know, Haitians also with the same mm -hmm. situations mm -hmm. of, of deep inequality and also a serious dysfunctioning country right now. And I think that people don't want to recognize or that they realize that there's there's two types of Latin Americans, right? There's a Latin American, and this is not just Latin America, but in general, you know, there's been serious racism in Latin America and the Caribbean. Racism toward color skin and racism because of social status. Right. And for classism. some reason, you know, and classism. And for some reason, many of these individuals decide that when they come here and become U.S. citizens, that they close the door behind them, that they are no longer like those people. And that's a serious issue because it's it's painful. And as a Latina, as a Hispanic, you know, you know, I, I want to apologize because it hurts me, you know? It's hurts me to see that that hate. And so for me, it's like we need to change this, you know. It's, it's just really unfortunate. And it's really, for me, it's really, really, it's, it's the saddest thing I've seen to see people that no matter where we come from, we are in this country due to the generosity of this country. Mm. I don't care how you came from, how you came here. And <laughs> like we always say, the only people who can say that they're, they're true, you know, you know, Native American, the true Americans are the Native Americans. Uh, no, I no, I totally agree. I mean, I come from a Nigerian parent, a kid of two Nigerian immigrants. And um, because of that, you're around other immigrants coming to this country. A lot of people coming with nothing on their back, just a bag, one bag. And, and they're willing to sit here and work and do whatever it takes to be a part of, of the promise of what this country offers. You know, not all the time this country delivers on that, but there's there's more promise here than in, in their back home countries, right? And I look at myself, my dad was cleaning chicken coops as he was getting his PhD, you know? And my mom was able to, to get go to college at the university that he taught at. And so, and I, and I think, you know, the American dream is not the same for everyone and it's not available for everyone. But from where these people are coming from, it's a there's more opportunity and promise there. And the one thing I my mom always tells me, you don't get to choose where you're born. <laughs> you know, you, you don't get to choose. She was able to have me and my brother here, and we were able to benefit from that. But you don't get to choose that you're born in a country with dictators. You don't get to choose yeah. that. And and asylum seeking is legal. Yes. Because that's what this country was based on. And to see these people treated not as people, but as chess pieces, right? As a way to, to own liberals in the media, right? And instead of treating them as people that want to come in here and just want to work and yeah. just want to send money back home. Human you know, beings and, and it's, it's disappointing. And addressing the real issues. I mean, uh, there was just a serious pandemic that happened in these countries. There's serious corruption 
happening in these countries. I mean, there are people leaving not only because of a pandemic or corruption, but also because of violence, right? And violence in their own countries. Exactly. Where they have to decide if they want to be with a gang or 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 search for a better life because they want they want a better life and they want they don't want that type of life. So and you know, like, we t- well, we talk a lot about history. History is an issue now, and one of the things that you grow up here, you learn that you know America was founded because they wanted to have a better life, right? They wanted to they wanted to be free from tyranny. And how are we going to not give that to other people? Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, I I just recently went to New York and I found out like on my dad's side that I was part. There's over like a million um, descendants um, from the immigrants of Ellis Island. Mm-hmm. And I found out that one of those descendants is one is one is one of my um, my great grandfather, right? Wow! Um, wow! Who came from Germany in 1889, and you know that's like that side. And then on my mom's side, you know she's a first generation Colombian who came here to teach some kids um, Spanish and to learn English. And you know, if it weren't for them, I mean, I think that that our stories are stories of resilience. Right. Our stories are stories of of just people who 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 want to be, you know, contributors, but also want the best for themselves. How many Fortune five hundred, you know, individuals we have that are immigrants, mm-hmm. and and you know we're we're like s- such an intricate part of this country. I was just I was just reading that. In terms of like 50% of the small businesses, I believe here in the United States, uh, 50%, I believe, are from Hispanics. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about all of this and, and thinking about the how as new citizens, now not only new citizens, U.S. citizens, probably foreign born, but that we've lived here for decades, uh, years, you know, we have been such great contributors to this country and, and, and you know, and we're not giving the, you know, we need to give more credit. Let's not say not. Let's yeah. be positive. Yeah. We need to uplift these voices. And like, you you know, yeah. I have a podcast called, you know, Los Lectores um, with We Are Mas. We are focused. Um, why is it We Are Mas? We Are Mas means we are more. And what's the reason of We Are More is that um, that the good people are more together, that the good people, no matter where we come from, even if you're born here, even if you are from other countries, when we get together, the good people, the people who care about others, no matter who they are, as human beings, we are more together. And I, and I, and I think that's, that's the key to, I think, what we need to do as democratic campaigns, right? We need to make sure that we're connecting these good people together. What we yeah. do sometimes, and like you said, is we don't. We, we, talk to, we talk to them as a group. We don't individually give them life and light and see them. And they feel like they're not a part of it. And what we need to do is kind of bring people into this and, and talk together. And, and I think, you know, I got to know you really well working this last cycle. And I think what's important is for us to continue to be talking to not just people in South Florida, Jacksonville, but in Fort Myers and Orlando and who are the people that we need to communicate with? And so, totally. you know, I, I appreciate you coming on here. I have one more question for you. Yeah. And um, 
And that is if you had unlimited budget, you know, you know, what what oh would you, <laughs> you know, you know what, what would you, what would you do to kind of grow the Hispanic voter base, not just in Florida, but nationally. And then I also leave a little time for you to speak on kind of what you think Biden should be doing to help with that. It's a, a lot of bigger question, but, but I think, yeah, I'm sure you know what you would want to do. So. Oh, my goodness. That would be such a blessing. <laughs> well, first of all, what I would do is make sure to work within communities. You know, I would I would try to bring the people and the leaders of each county that I know are the ones that are like the circle of trust for the communities together to work on this campaign together. Because that's always been the dream of We Are Mas. It's not just about, you know, the people or my or me working there, but it's about how we can bring other individuals, other consultants, other um, people who truly care, who haven't sometimes been given the chance. Let's be honest. Right, right. Um, no. And uniting them to show what can be done in Florida. I don't think that winning Florida um, is difficult. I don't think it, you know, I don't think it's, you know, rocket science. I think it's very simple. I think it has to do with involving the communities, involving the leaders. It's about engaging an honest conversation of who we are and why they should vote for the individuals we believe they should vote for. But most importantly, I think it also has to do to find out, first of all, and this is something that I, I presented with a, a group of colleagues in 2019, and it still works, is, you know, we have to first do a bit of research and see where every community is at. Where is the trust right now within the Democratic Party, mm. with each community? Right. And do it in depth. Because I think that that will give us an idea and understand what, what are they what are they looking for? I think that we did this, you and I did this in a in a in a smaller scope where we went to the communities and before we started building policies that were meant to be statewide, as you and I well know. Yeah. We knew we knew that it wasn't about us building the policy and like many um candidates do telling them what to do. Um it's about building um policy based on what the community says. They're needing based on what can be done and based on, you know, on thoughts of what has worked well in the past and what we can and, do now. In the and, and, and one of the things I think is also interesting from that is I think the community has their own solutions. A lot of times they, they, they have their own solutions to the problems and, 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 and we, and, uh, campaigns, government in general, we say, no, we have a solution for you. Instead of going to these people and saying, all right, we know this is a problem. How do you think we should fix it? And and, and, yeah. and I think we, and, and, and we lose, we lose because we don't involve them, not only in the problem part, but in the solution part. Yeah. That's what we lose. It's amazing when we were going across the straight state, just talking about, let's say, the environment. We sat down with people with amazing ideas. Mm -hmm. How to improve the environment in Florida. That floored me. Because they, they live in communities where they're being affected. And we're talking about, like, you know, PhD 
level individuals who are living in these communities with solutions, in addition to the community members who are also chiming in. So why are we going to reinvent the wheel? Exactly. Why? I remember we were in Jacks. We met with a, a group of black women entrepreneurs. I'm an entrepreneur myself. But one of the things they told in that meeting was, we don't need more mentors. We need more capital, right? We need we need access to capital. You know, we don't need we need a way to get money into our into our and not just at the end, but you know, at the beginning when you're starting, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just you have to listen to these people, right? And that's what we we miss out. So I'll leave eyes uh, to this, and because I know you monitor this, and or there's some things that Biden that you like. Or things that should he be doing well. You don't have to obviously criticize him because we're both fans <laughs> of Biden. But I, I do think, you know, it's important for the listeners to be aware of the things that he is doing, but also things that you think he should be doing. So I'll leave that up well, to you. Well, look, I think that President Biden has been doing a wonderful job at ensuring um, that places, many places in Latin America and, Carib- and the Caribbean that were completely neglected before that um, are starting to be seen again. And I say this as a person who was recently invited to be part of the Departments of, Department of State's U.S. Speakers Program, right? Um, where I've had the honor to talk to women in Chile and Argentina and Peru about, you know, how to counter disinformation. And I think that those type of programs really start to build, once again, what we talk about, the circle of trust, right? That the United States here is here to be an ally. Um, As you know, Obi, I'm a Colombian American. And one of the most important things um, is the 200 years of bilateral relations between Colombia and the United States. And no matter who's president for these last 200 years, here in the United States or in Colombia, that has been a priority, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that has been done well. We still have some work to do because there's some um, um, elected officials that are not allowing some um, um, important positions like the OAS and, you know, other positions to go through. So, you know, that's politics. But if they really did care, they would pass those positions through because they're people who care about a democracy and care about our countries um, of origin many times. Um, I think that if I would say something that we can improve, um, I think that the Biden administration really needs to recognize all the leaders of Florida, not just for the last year or the four last four years or last six years or the last, but the people in Florida who have always been working for the communities mm. and recognize them more by, 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 by uplifting them. And it's not just because one community comes from a certain place. I think it's time to recognize the people who have worked really hard and showing their different faces Um, and and inviting them more to the events they have. Mm. So I think that's something we're working on. I mentioned to you, Obi, I I want you to be part of that so we can send a list of good people who could be recognized in Florida because I think they need to do that. Um, No, I, I, I love that. I love that. And I think... That impacts people, empowers people to do more work when they get some recognition. Yeah. And they, but also they're a part of the process, right? 
they're part of the process. But finally, I think that the most important piece is that, you know, there are so many selfless people who work in government, who work in nonprofits, who work for the community. And I think that we need to do a better job at recognizing those people and uplifting them more and more. So that's kind of what I see in, and coming down more, coming down more. Yeah. Coming down more. And, and it so- means a lot when he visits, especially to our communities, right? It, yeah. it means a lot when they see you in their establishment. So, but Evelyn, thank you so much for coming on Why You Should Care. I want to give you one second to, where can people find you? online if they want to find out more about We Are Moss and how your work that you're doing in the community. So, Well, um, Obi, it doesn't surprise me that you call this program Why Should You Care? Because I'm honored to know you once again. You're one of the those leaders that does care. So I, I see exactly why you called this show this. Um, we You can find us at uh, wearemossfl.com. There's a lot of information there um, about us. We also have a YouTube called We Are Mas, where we have podcasts, mainly in Spanish, called Los Lectores, The Lectors. And, you know, um, on Twitter, um, you can find me as at Evelyn PR. So thank you for the opportunity, Obi, and I look forward to more conversations like this with you. Thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you so much.